this is the K. Ray Reads to You podcast, and I am K. Ray. And today we have Chapter 7 of The Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell. Chapter 7 is called Werewolves and Fire Drakes. Oh, the ninny! shouted Parrot in the gloom of Oswald's mouth. Oh, the stupid nincompoop! Really, these creatures are enough to make one molt. What are we going to do? asked Peter. Do! shouted Parrot. Do! "'Get out of here before that idiot sea-serpent swallows us. "'Here, you take the sickles and give me my telescope, and we'll bang on his teeth.' "'Yum, yum,' they heard Oswald say to himself, his voice sounding all hollow and echoing. "'Yum, yum, after all these years, what a delicious flavour, so delicately made. "'Yum, yum, a real crumpet at last.' "'I'll give the silly fool crumpet,' said Parrot. "'Now, all together.' Just as Oswald was saying yum-yum for the fourth time, the children, Ethelred, and Parrot all hit his teeth. So what he actually said was yum-yum, or ouch, ah, and without more ado spat out the dinghy and its contents. Then he put his head down and stared at it. "'Why,' he said in astonishment, "'it's a crumpet with people on. Well, I never—' "'It's me, you idiot! Parrot!' shouted Parrot, waving his telescope. "'Now a white crumpet with people on would be extraordinary enough,' said Oswald, fascinated by this problem. "'But a green crumpet with people on it is, I am sure, something no one has seen before.' "'I'll half strangle this reptile before I've finished,' muttered Parrot. Then he shouted, "'Oswald, it's me! Parrot! Parrot!' Oswald peered closely into the dinghy. "'Why,' he said in pleased surprise, "'it's Parrot, I do believe. How nice to see you. But what are you doing sailing about in a green crumpet? Very dangerous, you know, my dear fellow. You might get eaten by someone. Then where would you be? If you must sail about, do it properly, in a galleon or something of the sort.' "'This is not a crumpet. It's a boat,' roared Parrot." "'Goat?' said Oswald. "'No, no, my dear Parrot, I hate to contradict you, "'but I saw a goat once, and it looked nothing like that. "'Besides, goats don't float. "'And they're not green. "'No, no, mark my words, it's a crumpet. "'One of them marzipan ones they make in Bulgaria.' "'I can't talk to you without your ear-trumpet,' shouted Parrot. "'I'm getting hoarse.' "'No,' said Oswald, "'it's not a horse either. "'I mean, I may be mistaken. "'It could, I suppose, be a green muffin, but I doubt it. "'I very much doubt it.' "'I don't think a muffin would float so well.' "'What's the use of having the largest ears in Mythologia if you can't hear?' said Parrot, in exasperation. He flew up and perched on Oswald's ear. "'Where's your trumpet?' he yelled. "'Ah!' said Oswald, pleased. "'I thought it was. I'm glad you agree, dear Parrot. A goat is something quite different, with horns and a tail and things.' "'Your ear-trumpet!' yelled Parrot. "'Trumpet, trumpet, trumpet!' "'No need to shout and yell like that,' said Oswald, hurt. "'I can hear perfectly well without your screeching and roaring.' "'Your ear-trumpet!' shouted the children in unison. "'Oh, you'd like to see it?' said Oswald, pleased. "'Just a moment. I've got it here. The very latest thing. "'Of course I don't really need it. I can hear perfectly well. "'But it's a comfort to have it around, "'and I find that if you pour icing-sugar through it, "'it makes the most delicious patterns on cakes.' He fumbled under the waves, and then one of his scaly paws appeared, holding a huge amber ear-trumpet, decorated in silver. He pressed it into his ear and beamed at them. 
"'How does it look?' he inquired. "'Rather saucy, I thought.' "'Beautiful!' shouted the children. "'Eh?' said Oswald, bending down and putting the ear-trumpet closer. "'Beautiful!' shouted the children again. Oswald straightened up, took the trumpet from his ear, and peered into it. "'Won't be a moment,' he said to the children. "'Technical trouble.' He pushed one of his long claws into the ear-trumpet, and scrabbled about. Then he shook the trumpet, and a large quantity of icing-sugar fell out. "'There,' he said, pleased. "'It gets a little bit choked up occasionally.' He put it back in his ear, and Parrot flew up and perched on it. "'Can you hear me now?' he asked Oswald. "'Perfectly,' said Oswald, surprised. "'But then I could hear you before, all that nonsense about a goat.' "'Well, listen carefully,' said Parrot. "'It's essential that we get to Werewolf Island as quickly as possible.' "'Werewolf Island?' said Oswald. "'What on earth do you want to go there for? "'Nasty place, nasty people. "'I went there sunbathing not long ago, and the werewolves threw stones at me. "'Nasty, vulgar creatures.' "'Well, the reason we want to go there is a long story, "'which we haven't got time to tell you now,' said Parrot. "'But we must get there before moonrise. "'Now, can you give us a tow?' "'Simplest thing in the world,' said Oswald. "'You have a rope in the crumpet, I take it. "'Well, slip it around my neck, and away we go.' "'So they tied the painter around Oswald's neck and set off. "'At first, in his enthusiasm to help, "'Oswald went far too fast, and the dinghy bounced up and down so much they were all nearly thrown out. He had put his ear-trumpet away, so he couldn't hear them shouting to slow down, and in the end Parrot had to fly up to his nose and peck him before he became aware of what he was doing. At last he got the speed right, and they zoomed across the waves at a tremendous rate. "'Tell me,' asked Simon, "'why does Oswald wear that chef's hat?' "'He is a chef,' said Parrot, "'studied in Paris and China.' excellent cook, Oswald, but his father wouldn't let him continue with it, said cooking wasn't for sea serpents, so he made poor Oswald give it up and go into the family business. "'What family business?' asked Penelope. "'It's a firm Oswald's great-great-grandfather started, called Excitement Unlimited. If there is a place not very popular with tourists, they just send one of their family there for a bit.' He lets himself be seen and photographed a couple of times, and before you know it, the place is crammed with people wanting to see the sea serpent. But Oswald's a very shy creature, and he doesn't like the publicity involved, and he's a kindly soul, so he doesn't like leaving footprints in people's back gardens, or breathing on picnic parties, suddenly, from behind rocks. No, what he really wanted to do was to open a restaurant, but his father said, "'Who ever heard of a sea serpent running a restaurant?' So Oswald had to join the firm— "'and he does his cooking as a hobby.' "'Poor Oswald,' said Penelope. "'Yes, it's a shame,' said Peter. "'It must be horrid to have to go around showing off when you're modest.' "'Yes, particularly if he's a good cook,' said Simon. "'One of the very best,' said Parrot, "'and won't use moon-carrots. "'Oh, no, insists on fresh ingredients. "'Very particular is Oswald.' Now the sky was starting to go a deep golden green, and the children could see the beginnings of the four sunsets. On the horizon, a mere smudge at first, and then, getting clearer and clearer, loomed Werewolf Island. "'I don't think we'll do it before sunset,' said Parrot, looking at his watch, and then at the sun, which was sinking toward the horizon. "'We'll have to go ashore in the dark, but we must be off there by moonrise, whatever happens. It was so silly of me not to think of it, but we could have got H.H. H. to keep the sun shining for two days. But one always thinks of these things too late.' 
As they got closer to the island, it began to look more and more unfriendly, with craggy rocks and straggling bushes. It looked dark and evil, and Penelope shivered as she remembered what lived on it. "'We'll land on the south end, I've told Oswald,' Parrot explained, "'because the mandrake forest is in the northeast, and the werewolves' lairs in the northwest. If we can get through the mandrakes without waking them, or the wolves smelling us, we should have the rue and be out again in next to no time.' "'What about the will-o'-the-wisps?' asked Peter. "'Oh, they're all right, just mischievous. You can't trust them,' said Parrot. Oswald had slowed down as they reached the island, and now headed for a little cove. They beached the dinghy on the sand, which was red and black, and glowed uncannily in the light of the sunsets. "'Now remember,' said Parrot to Penelope, "'you stay here with Ethelred and Oswald, and at the first sign of any trouble put out to sea.' "'And what about you?' protested Penelope." "'Never mind about us,' said Parrot confidently. "'We'll be all right.' "'Good-bye, Penelope,' whispered Peter. "'Remember, any danger, and you scoot off.' "'Yes,' said Simon. "'Don't take any risks.' "'Good-bye,' said Penelope. "'You take care, too.' Carrying the sacks and the sickles, Peter and Simon and Parrot made their way down through the bushes, as quietly as they could. Penelope sat down on the beach, with Ethelred beside her, and Oswald lying in the shadows. "'Don't you worry, miss,' said Ethelred comfortingly. "'Why, they'll be through that orrid mandrake forest and into the rue-field before you can say fried frog-spawn.' Oswald had been listening to this with great attention through his ear-trumpet. "'Tell me,' he said, "'what do they want the rue for?' "'To give it to them weasels, of course,' said Ethelred. "'To give it to the weasels? Yes, of course. How stupid of me not to have thought of that,' said Oswald. "'Why?' "'Cor blimey, don't you know anything?' asked Ethelred. "'Don't you know about the cockatrices and all that?' "'No, I'm sorry I don't,' said Oswald apologetically. "'I've been on a mission, you see, and I've only just got back.' So, as much to while away the time as anything, Penelope and Ethelred told him about the cockatrices and their adventures. "'Audacious brutes!' said Oswald, when they had finished. "'To think of them doing that to H. H., the kindest of men!' "'a man who gave me my very best recipe for raspberry flan. "'How lucky he had you to help him!' "'So you see,' said Penelope, "'if we can just get the rue, it might solve everything.' "'Yes, indeed, I see how important it is,' said Oswald. "'It is, as it were, like the final pinch of pepper, "'the thimble of salt, the fragment of onion, "'or the merest tiny, titchy-teensy-weensy trigel of herbs "'that makes all the difference between success and failure in a recipe.' "'Exactly,' said Penelope. "'How well you put it.' <clears throat> "'I don't understand a word he's on about,' Ethelred confessed. "'I wonder,' said Oswald, "'whether I ought to swim around to the northeast of the, northeast of the island, "'so that I would be, as it were, on hand in case of an emergency.' "'Oh, would you?' said Penelope eagerly. "'That would be comforting.' "'Well, in that case I'll be off,' said Oswald. "'He swam out into the bay, submerged, and disappeared as swiftly and silently as a minnow. Penelope and Ethelred sat silent on the sand by the dinghy for what seemed like hours. "'It's a pity we have to be quiet, miss,' whispered Ethelred at length. "'Else I would have sung to you. Us toads is famous for our voices, you know, and I so know some lovely songs, honest I do.' "'That's very kind of you,' said Penelope. "'I would have appreciated it very much.' "'If I'd brought me conjurer's outfit,' 
"'I could have shown you some tricks,' he went on, "'cause I was a conjurer before I became a spy, see. "'I can produce a newt out of me top hat "'in a way what would baffle anyone.' "'I'm sure you can,' said Penelope. "'They sat in silence again "'while Penelope imagined all the awful things "'that might be happening to Peter, Simon, and Parrot. "'Tell you what, miss,' said Ethelred at last, "'you see that there little hill at the end of the bay?' "'Well, if I was to climb that, I could see a good bit of the island, "'and I dare say more than likely that I'd see them coming back, "'laden down with the rue. "'Shall I take an up up there, miss?' "'All right,' said Penelope. "'I can see no harm in it, but I'd better stay and guard the boat.' "'Right you are, miss. Back in a jiffy,' whispered Ethelred, and hopped off. "'Without Ethelred, the night seemed twice as dark and lonely.' Penelope was just beginning to wish she had not allowed him to go, when two things happened that made her wish even more that Ethelred was with her. First, over the very rim of the singing sea, the tiny edge of the moon appeared, like a curved shred of silver. Swiftly it rose, and in a moment or two it was clear of the sea, and flooding everything with a silvery light. The moment the moon had risen, Penelope heard echoing and re-echoing a series of long-drawn-out blood-curdling howls. Gradually they died away, and silence fell again, a silence that seemed even more horrid, because she knew now that the werewolves had woken up, and were on the prowl. She was just wondering whether to go in search of Ethelred when she heard another noise. At first it seemed like a very faint sigh, soft and far away. Then, as it grew closer, she could distinguish words. "'Help me,' said the voice faintly, as soft as thistledown. "'Please help me, please.' Penelope got to her feet and went quickly up the beach to where the bushes began, for it was here that the voice seemed to come from. At first she could see nothing in the gloom, and then suddenly she saw a light, a strange rainbow-coloured light that seemed to be rolling or dragging itself through the bushes toward the beach. "'Help me, please help me!' came the tiny pathetic voice. <clears throat> and it seemed to Penelope that it came from the strange light that was moving toward her along the ground. Without a thought of danger, Penelope ran straight through the bushes toward the light. When she got close to it, she saw that it was about the size of a tennis ball, and appeared to be composed entirely of multicolored candle flames. When she looked closely, she saw that it was a small, round, fat bird, with a bill like a duck's, whose plumage, instead of being feathers, appeared to be highly colored flames. The flames flickered to and fro so much that it was difficult to see exactly what the creature looked like, but one thing was obvious. It was very sick. Penelope ran forward and bent down to pick it up, when the creature rolled onto its back and pushed her hands away with two frail claws like a robin's. "'Don't touch me,' it gasped faintly. "'Wait while I change.' Penelope drew back her hands and watched. To her astonishment the creature suddenly turned from a mixture of every colour under the sun to a pale whitish-yellow. "'Now I'm cold,' it said in a faint voice. "'Now you may pick me up.' Penelope bent forward and gathered up the strange creature in her hand. It was as light as thistledown, and it throbbed gently in her hand like a bird. She turned and made her way back to the beach with it. When she reached the dinghy she sat down on the sand and put the strange creature into her lap. It settled back with a sigh of relief. "'You must be Penelope,' it said. "'Hick!' "'Yes,' said Penelope, "'that's right.' "'But how did you know, and who are you?' "'I'm a fire-drake,' panted the little creature. "'At least, hick, I'm not really, quite. "'I'm a fire-duckling. 
I was only hatched a week ago. Hick! My name's Fenella.' "'But what happened to you?' asked Penelope. "'I must tell you quickly,' gasped Fenella. "'There's no time, hick, to lose. I was out this evening practicing my flying, hick, just as the sun went down, and I happened to land in a bush. I'm not very good yet, you see, hick, and all my lights went out because I was stunned. When I came to, hick, there was a group of will-o'-the-wisps near the bush I was in, hick, and they were plotting. You know what, hick, plotters the will-o'-the-wisps are. But this was a really nasty plot. They said that two humans and Mr. Parrot, hick, were making their way across the island, and they'd left a toad and a Penelope, I suppose that's you, in charge of the boat. They said, hick, they were going to tell the werewolves where Mr. Parrot and the others were, hick, and then when they were all together they were going to wake the mandrakes, hick. Did they indeed, said Penelope, thoroughly enraged. Nasty, spiteful, plotting things. Then what happened? Well, then I got hiccups, said Fenella apologetically, and they all rushed at me, hick, and started banging me about, and I fell out of the bush and broke my wing, hick. Then they got frightened and ran away, but I thought I ought to come, hick, here to warn you. I hope I did right. Absolutely right, said Penelope, so angry at what the will-o'-the-wisps had done to Fenella that her voice shook. Now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you safely in the boat, and you're to wait for a toad to come. His name is Ethelred. When he comes, tell him what you've told me, and tell him I've gone to warn Mr. Parrot. Can you remember that? Oh, yes, said Fenella. I've a very good hick memory. It's just my flying that's bad, hick. And when I come back, I'll mend your wings, said Penelope. Do take care, said Fenella. Those will-o'-the-wisps, hick, aren't to be trusted, truly. I'll take care, said Fenella. Putting, uh, sorry, I'll take care, said Penelope, putting Fenella carefully into the boat. Now, are you comfortable? Yes, thank you, hick, very much, said Fenella. Well, just stay there and wait for Ethelred, said Penelope. And taking the flashlight, she made her way rapidly up the beach and into the bushes. There was a rough track that was obviously the way Parrot and the boys had gone. She pushed on through the bushes, and presently they gave way to a rather dry, scratchy sort of grassland, and ahead of her loomed a wood. This must be the mandrake forest, she thought, and moved very quietly so as not to wake them. When she had tiptoed to the edge of the forest, she stopped and turned on her flashlight for a moment, for she wanted to see what the mandrakes were like. What she saw made her want to giggle. They were shaped like great green Easter eggs with large eyes that were tightly shut, large ears, snub noses, and pouting, sulky mouths on their trunks. From the sides of each trunk stuck two short, stubby branches ending in bunches of twigs and leaves, presumably the mandrakes equivalent to arms and hands. On their heads, like tangled wigs, were more short branches and a lot of leaves. As they slept, they all snored gently, so that the whole forest vibrated. Penelope switched off the flashlight and tiptoed through the mandrakes and into the wood. She had to move with great caution, using only the pale light of the moon to see by, for she did not want to walk into a mandrake by mistake or tread on a twig that would wake them up. So step by step she made her way slowly and carefully through the snoring mandrakes. Presently she came to a clearing in the forest that was flooded with moonlight, and from it six paths led in different directions. Then she noticed in the gloom, among the mandrakes around the clearing, several greeny-blue lights that pulsed, but remained quite stationary, as if they were watching her. It was the will-o'-the-wisps, 
and soon she could hear their sniggering soft voices talking to one another. "'That's her! That's her!' sniggered one. "'Yes, yes, yes, yes!' chorused the others. "'She can't find her way!' giggled the first one. "'No, she can't, she can't, she's lost!' they chorused. "'Soon she'll be eaten! Yes, 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 yes! Eaten, eaten, eaten! Yes, 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 yes!' Then, as suddenly as they had appeared, the will-o'-the-wisps slipped off through the trees and were gone. Penelope stood in the centre of the clearing and wondered which one of the six paths to choose, wishing she had a compass with her. She closed her eyes and tried to remember the map of the island and in which direction the rue field lay. When she opened her eyes, at the entrance to each path stood a werewolf. They looked very like large, shaggy German shepherds, walking on their hind legs and using their front paws as cleverly as monkeys. Their eyes glinted green in the moonlight, and they were all panting, their red tongues flapping in and out, their white teeth gleaming. Before Penelope could move, the werewolves converged on her swiftly and silently. A bag was thrown over her head, and she felt herself lifted in hard furry paws and carried off, the only sound being the hoarse panting of her captors as they jogged along. Presently Penelope was put down and tied to what felt like a tree trunk. Then the bag was removed from her head, and she saw she was in a large gloomy cave lit by a big flickering fire. She was bound to a tree trunk that had been planted upright in the cave's earthen floor, and on either side of her were two other tree trunks, to which were tied Peter and Simon. "'Penelope!' exclaimed Peter. "'What are you doing here?' "'Why aren't you with Oswald?' cried Simon. Hastily, since the werewolves had left the cave, Penelope related her story of the fire-drake and her subsequent capture. "'Well,' said Peter, "'we got through the mandrake forest all right, and we found the rue. It grows on the seashore near here.' "'We put it into the sacks,' said Simon, and then Oswald appeared and said you'd sent him, so we told him to go back and get the dinghy and you and Ethelred.' "'Parrot went with him,' said Peter, "'and we were waiting for you to come back when suddenly a whole host of those awful wisps appeared, shouting, "'Here they are! Here they are!' and the werewolves jumped on us before we could do anything. That was half an hour ago. "'What are they going to do with us?' asked Penelope. "'Turn us into werewolves,' answered Peter gloomily, to increase their numbers. "'Don't be silly. How could they?' said Penelope, aghast. "'If they bite us, we'll turn into werewolves,' said Simon. "'The guard told us. They're having a special ceremony when the moon sets. They'll bite us, and that'll be that.' Penelope was silent thinking of the fate awaiting them. "'Well, we can't get free. We've tried,' said Peter. "'They certainly know how to tie one up.' "'I've got a knife in my pocket, but I can't reach it,' said Simon. Just at that moment a werewolf came into the cave. Seen in the flickering firelight, they were even more fierce-looking and unattractive than they had been by moonlight, Penelope decided. "'No talking,' said the werewolf, in a harsh, growly voice. "'I've told you before.' "'Oh, go and boil your head,' said Peter pugnaciously. "'Yes,' said Simon, "'we've got every right to talk. Why shouldn't we?' "'It's the law,' said the werewolf, lying down by the fire. "'How can it be the law when you haven't had any prisoners before?' said Penelope indignantly. "'Don't be so stupid.' The werewolf put his ears back and snarled at her. "'We're not stupid,' he said. "'We captured you all, and that was not stupid, so be quiet.' There was silence for a time, broken only by the crackling of the fire. Then, suddenly, the werewolf, who had been lying, dozing with his head on his paws, pricked up his ears. 
Then, as he sat up, staring at the mouth of the cave, the children could see something very strange creeping into the cave. It looked like a long white caterpillar. The children and the werewolf watched it as it crawled steadily closer and closer to the fire. The werewolf got up on all fours, the fur on his back standing up, and he growled at the strange white caterpillar-like thing. Halt! Who goes there? he snarled. Arr! said the caterpillar. Arr! Arr! friend! Who are you? said the werewolf, now somewhat alarmed. I'm a were-toad, said a familiar voice. I'm a were-toad, and I've been sent here with a very important present for the chief of the werewolves. As this strange apparition got close to the fire, the delighted children could see that it was indeed Ethelred, with a large roll of cotton wool stuck to his back. What's a were-toad? asked the werewolf, puzzled. You mean to say you've never heard of a were-toad? asked Ethelred with scorn. I don't think much of your education, then. I'm very well educated, said the werewolf indignantly. Well educated, you, you, what's never heard of a were-toad? said Ethelred. Lummy, if I was you, I'd be ashamed to admit I didn't know what a were-toad was. Well, what is it? asked the werewolf angrily. It's just like a werewolf, only different, said Ethelred. More dangerous, like, more evil and cunning. You couldn't be more dangerous or evil or cunning than us, said the werewolf. I don't believe you. Are you accusing me of telling lies? inquired Ethelred. I do hope not, for your sake. Us were-toads can be real nasty if we are put upon. I'm not saying you're lying, said the werewolf hastily. I just said I didn't believe you. Well, that's better, then, said Ethelred. Now where's your chief, eh? I've got this present for him. What is the present? asked the werewolf suspiciously. Look, it's for him, not you, said Ethelred. It's a special magic potion for making wear things twice as, er, mm, er, twice as wear as what they are, see? Twice as wear, asked the werewolf. You mean more cunning, more dangerous, more evil? Yes, that's it, said Ethelred, producing a small bottle from under his cotton wool disguise. You just rub this ear lotion on your tail, and before you can say, Filleted frog's legs, you've become one of the warest of all werewolves. You mean that if, just supposing, of course, if I had this potion, I could be promoted from, say, from sentry to leader of the pack? asked the werewolf, licking his lips. Of course, said Ethelred, no doubt about it. Shouldn't be surprised, but what your chief doesn't proclaim himself king after rubbing that lot on his tail. There er, seems to be a great deal in that bottle, said the werewolf thoughtfully. Yes, said Ethelred, plenty here. I wondered if, perhaps, you might allow me to just put the tiniest bit on my tail, said the werewolf. I mean just the merest drop, so little the chief wouldn't notice. Well, I don't know about that now, said Ethelred doubtfully. After all, it is his present, and I haven't got no right, really. Oh, go on, said the werewolf pleadingly. Just a drop. He'll never know, and I'll be ever so grateful. Well, said Ethelred reluctantly, are you're only to have a drop, mind. You promise? Oh, yes, oh, yes, I promise, said the werewolf. Only a drop. All right, then, said Ethelred. He held out the bottle to the werewolf, who snatched it from him, pulled out the cork, and immediately poured the entire contents of the bottle over his tail. 
the children could smell the strong pungent odor of surgical spirit which they knew was kept in the first aid kit for cleaning up cuts and bruises i think that means rubbing alcohol aha smiled the werewolf triumphantly i've fooled you i've put it all on now i'll be king of the werewolves now i'll be more evil more dangerous more horrible than anyone else now i shall start by eating you you miserable were-toad you well we'll see about that said ethelred and picked up a flaming branch from the fire and threw it on to the werewolf's tail immediately the surgical spirit caught fire and the werewolf's whole tail burst into flame Arr! screamed the werewolf my tail my tail burning a treat it is said ethelred ow 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 yelled the werewolf running around and around the fire my tail my tail i should go and stick it in the sea if i was you advised ethelred cool it off like still screaming with pain the werewolf ran out of the cave and disappeared in the direction of the sea his tail streaming like a bonfire behind him that's got him all hot and bothered said ethelred in triumph tearing off his cotton wool disguise now a bit of the old rescue ethelred you're wonderful said penelope terrific said peter marvellous said simon well now said ethelred blushing it was nothing really just what we master spies are trained to do here i don't think i can untie them knots though there's a penknife in my pocket said simon how on earth did you find us asked penelope ethelred had opened the knife and was busily cutting them free well he said when i got back to the boat and found you'd gone i nearly had a fit and when that stupid icoping bird told me what she told you and what you were going to do well i nearly had two fits and that's a fact he cut penelope free and she was rubbing her wrists where the ropes had chafed her now he turned his attention to peter well miss he went on i opt after you as quick as ever i could but you don't half walk fast anyway i just caught up with you in the mandrake forest there where all them paths were i was just about to give you a shout when core lummy all them orders jumps on you he cut peter free and turned to simon well i'll tell you straight ethelred confessed i couldn't have fought them all i'd have tried them one at a time like but them things don't fight like that so i just followed them here and when the others went off to arrange the great biting as they called it they left that silly one in here on his own i said ethelred me lad i said this is where your mastery over the art of disguise is going to pay off but then i remembered i hadn't got me disguises all there was in the first aid kit was that there cotton wool and that smelly stuff so i had to do the best i could you're wonderfully brave said penelope brilliantly intelligent said peter incredibly resourceful said simon hang on a bit said ethelred you'll have me blushing again no one else in the world could have done as well said penelope with conviction well come on said peter we'd better get out of here before the wretched animals come back so with great caution they made their way out of the cave through the mandrake forest and then through the field of rue down to the sea in the distance they could hear the howling of the werewolves which made penelope shiver when they reached the beach they walked along it while peter and simon tried to find the landmark where where they were supposed to meet parrot suddenly penelope glancing over her shoulder gave a gasp of horror look she said the werewolves at the far end of the beach running on all fours came the werewolf pack their eyes glinting their tongues flapping like flags their teeth gleaming white as mushrooms in the moonlight they had their noses to the ground and were following the children's tracks 
"'Let's get around the promontory into the next bay,' said Peter, "'and Simon and I will try to hold them off with rocks "'while you and Ethelred find the boat.' "'They ran toward the promontory "'and started to scramble over the rocks. "'Then Peter, who was leading, suddenly stopped. "'Hush!' he whispered. "'There's something on the other side of these rocks. "'Perhaps the werewolves have another pack "'and have sent it around to cut us off.' "'They all stopped, their hearts beating, and listened. "'For a moment there was silence, and then a voice said, "'For a really delicious shepherd's pie, "'I always use a pinch of rosemary and thyme, "'as well as sage and onions, "'and the merest dash of the best Madeira.' "'Do you hic really?' said another voice. "'It's Oswald!' cried Penelope. "'Oswald and Fenella. "'They scrambled over the rocks. "'There below them was the dinghy with Parrot and Fenella on board, "'and Oswald lying in the shallows. "'Behind them they could hear the panting and snarling of the werewolves, "'and the clattering of falling rocks as the pack pursued them. "'Quickly the children and Ethelred jumped down from the rock onto the sand "'and ran towards the dinghy. "'Parrot! Parrot! Help!' shouted Penelope. "'The werewolves are after us!' "'Werewolves!' said Oswald. "'Werewolves! We'll soon see about that!' He surged down the bay and slid out onto the beach, putting his great kingfisher-blue body between the children and the werewolves. Then he sucked up a great mouthful of sea-water and spat it at the werewolf-pack like a fire-hose. This hard jet of water caught the leading werewolves and bowled them over and over, yelping and snarling. "'Nasty, ill-mannered, stone-throwing beasts!' said Oswald. He filled his mouth again and spat another jet of water at the werewolves, who were now in full retreat. Parrot flew on to Penelope's shoulder. "'Dearest, dearest Penelope,' he said, "'how glad I am that you are safe. Quick, into the boat, all of you!' They scrambled into the dinghy and pushed off. When they were far enough from shore, they called to Oswald, who was thoroughly enjoying himself, chasing the werewolves up and down the beach, and spitting water at them. At length he left the pack, drenched, bruised, and angry, and swam out to join the dinghy. "'That will teach them,' he said with satisfaction. "'That'll teach them not to throw stones at strangers.' "'Well,' chortled Parrot, as the boys fixed the rope around Oswald's neck, "'we've done it by Jove. Everybody's safe and four sacks of rue. How's that for an important piece of work?' "'Sorry, how's that for a triumphant piece of work?' "'We can stop on the way to get some lavender,' said Peter. "'Then, cockatrices, watch out.' "'Yes,' said Simon. "'We'll show them.' "'Is Oswald going to pull us all the way back?' asked Penelope. "'Yes,' said Oswald. "'You're just fortunate that I have nothing in the oven at the moment, "'so a day either way won't matter.' "'Well, off we go,' said Parrot. "'And so Oswald surged ahead and swam toward the rising sun, "'pulling the dinghy behind him, taking the children— on the last stage of their strange adventure. And that's the end of chapter 7, and I read that in March of 2011 in San Diego, California. And I'll see you next time for chapter 8 and the end of the book.